Father, we, we meant what we just sang. We want to hear from you. We believe you will do special things in this room. We believe you're here, you're present, you're living, you're active. Jesus, you're risen. Your spirit is moving. We have great expectations for you. We pray that you would be highly exalted in our hearts as your word is proclaimed. Help us never to feel finished. Help us never to feel completed. Help us never to put up a shield and refuse you entrance into our hearts. Uh, Rather, challenge us to grow. May this be our greatest year of spiritual growth ever. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, Uh, today we're going to talk about storing up hope. Storing up hope. This is part of a short series from 1 Timothy. I've been focusing on foundational choices you can make in 2015 to make sure this year is amazing. Two weeks ago, I talked about breaking a sweat spiritually. Hey, do you have your spiritual fitness plan for this year written down? How many of you have set spiritual goals for this year? You could tell, raise your hand if you've set a spiritual goal for this year. I'm going to read through the Bible or pray, write a prayer journal. You could tell me your goal. All right, great. Some of you are still getting there. Hey, have some spiritual goals. And then last week I talked about contentment. Whatever has happened, whatever is happening, whatever will happen, it is well with my soul because Christ is with me. And the Bible started zeroing in on financial worries that God's people has. And it talks about how we can find contentment, whatever has happened financially, because Christ is with us. Today we continue that theme, and the question is this. Are you storing up treasure in heaven or on earth? Are you storing up treasure in heaven or on earth? Hey, have you seen that movie, Monuments Men? Who saw that? Uh, Bill Murray, John Goodman, right? They went out and they were supposed to uh, track down all of the money and the treasures that the Nazis stole from many countries. They were tracking all that down to try and save it before the Nazis burned it all up. It was a treasure hunt. All right, awesome movie. But there was this one moment in the movie where they discovered this salt mine. They didn't even know what was in it. They found some paintings and then something else happened. So check this out. Here's a scene from the movie Monuments Men. feet below the ground in a salt mine in Merkers, Germany, RGIs discovered over 100 tons of gold bullion, the entirety of Germany's reserve. A crushing blow to Hitler. Grand news indeed, and congratulations to Generals Patton, Bradley, and Eisenhower. It was a mountain of treasure, stored up on earth, deep inside a mine where bombs couldn't touch it. It was the reserve of, of the war machine, and then it was discovered and found out and confiscated. The Nazis stored up their treasure on earth and Hitler promised a kingdom in his name that would last a thousand years. And yet he left this world with nothing. And he left this world with nothing good waiting for him in the next world. The Bible tells us not to dream of filling a mountain with treasure in this world. Shouldn't be what we hope for. Shouldn't be what we plan for. Shouldn't be what we long for. Rather, we are supposed to fill heaven with a mountain of treasure so that it's waiting for us in the next life. We are to store up our treasure in heaven. But how do we do that? Well, check out 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 covers uh, financial stewardship, which is a lot of people are thinking about early in the year as you set your plans 
And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Verse 17 says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Um, How do you store up treasure in heaven? How can I store up true hope in the next life? The first thing you can do is write this down. Number one, write this down. Uh, Get over yourself. I'll say that once more so that you can take notes. Get over yourself. There, There are times when a preacher is instructed by God's word to punch people in the nose. And right now, the Bible is instructing your preacher to punch you in the nose. It says here, charge. Charge them. So, um, I'm going to charge you not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Uh, When the Bible uses the word rich, We are all included in that term. By the standard of history, by even the standard of our own age, all of us in this room would qualify as being rich in the biblical sense of the word, materially rich. Meaning, 99% of us in this room can live with little fear of true hunger. If we set our standard of living low, most of us, though, what we do is we stretch our standard of living to the brink so that it feels like there's true danger of starvation or lack of basic essentials. But I think if we admit it, if we're willing to reduce our standard of living enough, we can all live from now until the day we die without true fear of hunger or want. Would you agree with that? And we can even have some perks like a phone or television or some toys. The Bible would refer to us as rich compared to how most other people have lived throughout history. Okay, so generally speaking, when I say the word rich, I mean you. However, there are some, even by the standard of our day, who are really well off. Meaning, meaning you either have been blessed by someone else or you've worked hard and that's paid off. And so you don't only have a life where you could enjoy the basics, you could actually enjoy ongoing luxury, the finer things in life. Even if maybe your spending is conservative, you still can have a more luxurious life. You would kind of constitute, when the Bible singles people out, you would kind of constitute the Bible's calling you the rich. All right. So it applies to all of us, but it particularly applies to some who are better off than others. I'm charging all of us, but I'm particularly charging those of us, those of you who are very well off, to not be haughty. Haughty means high-minded. Do you know any haughty people? Do you know any people who are high-minded? They look down on you and they elevate themselves to a place of greater importance in their own estimation and it perhaps has something to do with their net worth. But they are high-minded. That's haughty. Haughty is when a person elevates himself over those around them. And I'm charging you to not be haughty. I'm charging you to get over yourself. 
Hey, look at the person next to you right now. Look at the person next to you. Even if you don't know them, that's okay. And I want you to repeat after me. Ready? Say this to them. You are no big deal. Come on. I just saw a mom look at both of her children, one at a time. You are no big deal. Hey, have you done well? Have you saved some money up? Are you in a good neighborhood? Have you made wise choices? Hey, listen, you're no big deal. You're no better than anyone else. God loves you no more or no less than anyone else. Essentially, at the core of your being, there's nothing that makes you more special or talented or unique than anyone else. You're no big deal. Get over yourself. The Bible says here, charge people to not be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Uh, write this down. Your money is overpromising. Your money is overpromising. It says not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Your money is overpromising. Meaning if you trust your money for certain things, your money will not come through. The Bible defines hope, or actually a, a summary of the Bible's definition of hope is this. Hope is, it's not crossing your fingers like, or blowing out a birthday candle. Hope is actually confidence in the completion of an unfinished promise. So someone makes a promise, it's not done yet, you have confidence that that promise will be completed. That's called hope. It's based on some substance and it's hopeful that that will come to completion. Now hope in the biblical sense is confidence in the promises that God has made. And before you see them come to completion, you have hope that it will be exactly as you have heard. That's hope. It's confident expectation. But money makes some promises to you also. And when you put your hope in money, you're believing the promises that money has told you before those promises come true. You're saying, I know it hasn't all happened yet, but money has told me a few things about what money can do for me and my family and my future and my career. So I'm going to believe the promises of money before those promises actually happen. That's having your hope in money. You're believing the promises money can make for you. But money's a liar. Your money's overpromising. Do you ever watch those infomercials that sometimes overpromise what a product can deliver? Have you ever seen an infomercial and you're like, that knife is really not that spectacular? I think they're really overpromise. Have you seen those infomercials? Check this out. This is the best one ever. This is called the Hawaii chair. The Hawaii chair. Here, here's the product. Go ahead. Out of your workout. The Hawaii chair. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. That feels great on my abs. I can really feel this working. Hawaiian chair while answering phones, using the computer, balancing books, or filing paperwork. You can hardly call this work. With the Hawaiian chair, it takes the work out of your workday. If you can sit, you can get fit. The Hawaiian chair. If you can sit, you can get fit. I should preach in one of those next week. Open your Bibles. Wouldn't that be awkward? <laughs> Overpromise. Just sit down and you'll have rock hard abs. You're lying. You're lying. More like I need a, you know, an airplane like vomit bag if I sit in that thing for a long time. I mean, 
Products always lie, right? Products always lie. But here's the thing. The, your money is lying to you. Your money's over-promising. Your money is promising you and your family a future it cannot deliver. It cannot deliver. And um, I'm charging you on behalf of the Word of God to not set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. To not believe the unfinished promises that money is making to you. Because your money is making you promises that only your God can keep. Do you want your kids to have a solid future? Do you want to enjoy peace in this world? Do you want to feel stable in an ever-changing economy? God can give you that. And the Bible says here, not on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So get over yourself. Why? Well, because your money is over-promising. Your money can't live up to the hype. Your God can. Trust God. Psalm 52, 7-8 says this, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. It's a crisis to trust God and not trust your money. Your money's over-promising. Write this down, though. Get over yourself. Why? Because God handed you everything you own. God handed you everything you own. Look back at verse 17. It says, riches are uncertain. It says, but trust God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Why should I get over myself? Because everything that you have has been handed to you by God. God handed you everything that you have. He's the source of everything you enjoy. And here the Word of God is trying to break the illusion that somehow all of your stuff or your money originated with you apart from Him. Now you might say, hey, I worked hard. I studied hard. I got that degree. I landed that job. I established those big accounts. It's mine. That's true. Maybe it's true. Yep, you did. But it was his first. And it's now a loner, and soon it will be gone forever. All of it. It'll either be in somebody else's hands, or it'll be in a landfill. The Bible's trying to break the illusion that what you have is yours with no intervention from God and yours forever to keep. Both of those things are false. They were handed to you by God and they'll soon be gone forever. Once you start putting your stuff in perspective, it loses its grip to dictate your choices in life. Get over yourself. Your money's over-promising and God handed you everything you own. God must really like me. I'm blessed. I mean, I don't know why God blessed me. I don't know why I I live the good life that I live. I don't know. But you know what? I must really be blessed. Uh, God must really love me. Yeah, that was true about you before the money, and it'll be true about you after the money. You're no different than anyone else. Get over yourself. God has given you not just money, but everything. 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 He's allowed it to flow into your life. It says here he richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He does want you to enjoy what you have. He does want to fill your heart with joy. He does want you to feel 
the security or the, or the fun that comes with those provisions. He wants you to enjoy food and to be clothed and to have shelter. He wants all of that. But he wants you to understand where it came from and where it's going so that you don't set your hopes on them. Get over yourself. Your money's over-promising and God handed you everything you own. Now verse 18 says this, They, that's the rich, that includes all of us, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. To be generous and ready to share. Write this down, get over yourself, be rich in good works. Be rich in good works. It says here to do good. Do good. Serving Jesus and serving others. This is a call to working for Christ. Uh, to, To serve rather than to be served. Now, this book was written to a church in Ephesus, and there were some who were rich in Ephesus. And you know what? They could wake up every morning and not have to work. They were taken care of. They were loaded. The discrepancy between the classes back then was far greater than it is today. So when they were rich, they could literally wake up and do nothing all day long forever. And, and here the Bible says, charge them, punch them in the nose, and say, get to work. Those who have every earthly excuse to take it easy and to retire into a sedentary life are called here to get to work. Charge them to do good, to be rich in good works. There'll never come a time in your life where it's time to do nothing for Jesus. I literally heard a Christian once who's very well off, who just did something that in his mind was apparently menial, for the kingdom. I, I actually heard a Christian say, I'm too rich for this. I'm too rich for this. Like as a protest for what he just had to do for the kingdom. It was appalling. It was loathsome. It was such a conceited comment of his own self-importance. Hey, name the richest man in history. Go ahead and take a guess. Solomon. Solomon. Somebody's whispering. Yeah? King Abdullah. All wrong answers. All wrong answers. No, no. Who's your pastor? You're all terrible at Bible trivia. I'm just kidding. The richest man who ever walked the earth was Jesus. Oh, that was the answer. It's always Jesus. Why didn't I guess Jesus? You didn't think about him because he didn't walk around drinking out of cups of gold. But 2 Corinthians 8, 9, we'll put it up on the screen, says this. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The richest man who ever walked the earth was Jesus. Colossians 1.16 says all things were created through him and for him. You think you're big stuff because you landed on boardwalk and built a hotel? The deed to the universe is in his hand. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything is his. And he let it go. To walk this earth with nothing, he let it go. He became poor. He left behind the treasures of heaven, the glory of the praise of angels, the fellowship with the Father, total expression of his sovereignty. He let all of that go temporarily to come down here and to be poor, to not even have a place to lay his head. And he did it because you were dirt poor. When you understand that you were born a spiritual beggar, bankrupt before God, 
not a penny of merit in God's estimation. And you understand that the richest man in history became dirt poor to drag you up to salvation, to make you rich. That changes how you see your money. The richest man in history gave it all up because I was a beggar and I received this handout called salvation and now I'm rich in heaven. That changes the way you see how you handle your money. Changes the way you see those around you who, who need help because you were a poor beggar. And Jesus, the richest man ever, became poor to save you. It changes the way you see life because becoming Christ-like now means you become someone who gives so that others might receive. He was the servant of all. He became a nobody. The richest somebody to ever walk the earth became a nobody for you. When you understand that, how much God gave for you, you'll become a giving person and not a hoarding person. That businessman who said, I'm too rich for this. Imagine if Christ up in heaven said, the cross, I'm too rich for this. I'm staying here. None of us would go to heaven. That attitude is unchristlike. It's Christ-like to want to give so that others can receive. Jesus didn't just walk around saying, hey, I'm here to give you salvation, so stop bringing me your other problems. I'm going to take care of the big one and that's it. He handled the smaller ones too, Right? He handled the small, you need food, you need a meal, let's, let's get on that, disciples. Like, he was so giving. He poured himself out for others in the small things and in the big things. That's what Christ did for you. That should motivate you to be rich in good works. should motivate you to lower your self-estimation because you're no big deal. If Christ said, if Christ said, I'm no big deal while he was here, you should say, I'm no big deal too. It says here in chapter, or verse 18, They are to do good, to be rich in good works. Then it says to be generous and ready to share. So write this down. Give generously. Give generously. To be generous and ready to share. What Christ did for you should prompt you to give to others. Two words here, generous and ready to share. The word generous means good giver. Um, uh, There's something commendable about your giving. Either it's because you're eager, so it's the heart behind it. Or it's because of the amount. You're, you like really sacrifice a true sacrifice. So there's something good about your giving. You're a generous giver. And then it says be ready to share. Be generous and be ready to share. Ready to share involves that word, you've probably heard it before, koinonia, which um, is the essence of Christian fellowship. So you're ready to share with your, with your family of believers around you. You're, you're giving within the church family. Galatians 6.10 Uh, says this. We'll put that on the screen. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do you see how it singles out your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ for special affection? Do you see that? Do good to, to everyone, but it says especially to those who are of the household of faith. The Bible does kind of set up a precedent for giving. It says, you know, if a man can't provide for his immediate family, he's worse than an unbeliever. So, yes, you should, your immediate family should be your first and greatest concern. I'm going to provide for my family. Right after that comes your brothers and sisters in Christ, your church family, and wanting to make sure that those needs are met for those, for those people who are around you. Uh, and so if you want to store up treasure in heaven... You've got to get over yourself and you've got to be rich in good works. That includes giving generously. Generosity should fall first on your immediate family and next, close second, on your church family. Um, the Bible calls for us to give cheerfully. Uh, sometimes Christians don't give cheerfully. 
my wife one morning was teaching a Sunday, or not a Sunday school, but a kids' church lesson um, on the woman who put in everything that she owned. You remember that? The, the two, you know, she just put in the two coins. It was everything she had to live on. So my wife thought it would be cool to bring in two bags of money, and she scrounged up all the money in the house. She like raided the kids' piggy banks and went into her own wallet. And so she came here and she had two bags. And she showed him one bag with a teeny little amount of money and then one bag with like paper money and it looked like it was a billion bucks to the kids, right? It's probably only like 75 bucks. But she's like, look, the one woman put this in and the other person put this in, but the woman who put this in gave a greater gift. And so, so the lesson was over and somehow at the end of the second service, uh, the ushers came in and they saw those two bags of money laying on the table and they just put them in the offering for the day. This is like our kids' money that Lauren didn't ask. She just took it. And so Lauren went back there. Where's the money? Where's the money? Oh, it got put into the offering. Oh. <laughs> so, so we had to go home and tell the kids. An offering was made on your behalf this morning at church. <laughs> Do you think they were cheerful about that? <laughs> what? Where did it go? What a bag of... That would be compulsive giving. <laughs> The Bible calls us to give cheerfully. Um, The reason we can give cheerfully would first and foremost be because we want to truly make a statement to Christ that we love him, right? When when the woman, uh, the sinful woman brought that jar, the precious jar, right, of perfume and broke it and and poured it on him, it was worth like, you know, tons of of money. And Jesus said, she has done a beautiful thing for me, right? So, So we can give cheerfully when we first understand we're doing something that means a lot to Christ. That's where cheer comes from first. But then beyond that, I think there's some basics like having a plan and like focusing on your church family around you. Um, so I just want to challenge you to come up with a, a giving plan so you can give generously this year. If the Bible's challenging us to be rich in good works and to give generously and especially to focus on those brothers and sisters in Christ and the mission here at hand, hey, it helps to have a plan. Um, what does that mean? Well, I think we challenge everybody in our membership classes um, just to say, hey, you know what? God comes first and I, I'm going to tithe to my church this year. And maybe you've made that step of faith. Maybe you haven't. But let me just say, here at the beginning of the year, as you're laying out your finances and planning stuff out, let me just challenge you to take that step of faith um, and to make that commitment to the Lord that I'm going to give to my church family first. You know, Knowing that we've got full-time ministers with their families serving our kids and our teenagers and our adults. And man, I want them to be blessed, right? So, uh, Talk about it with your spouse or pray about it uh, before the Lord, but we don't, we don't get legalistic with giving, but we just challenge people as a good biblical star point to tithe to the work of the Lord here at the church. And God says in the Old Testament, hey, put me to the test in this and see if I come through and provide for you. So um, in addition, about once a year, we'll take up a benevolence offering for those people in our church who are really struggling and going through it. It's going to happen. So, you know, how do you plan now? So that when that day comes, maybe in October, September, whatever, you said, oh, you know what? We've set some money aside just for this time because we've got a, people in our church who really are hurting and I'm going to give so that they can be helped during this time of need. Hey, you know it's coming, so come up with a written plan now so that that'll happen. And then there's additional commitments, the facility and everything, but hey, have a written plan. Do you have a, do you have a 2015 written budget? Do you have a giving plan? Then you can give cheerfully And then, as the Bible says, you can be rich in good works. Let me just also say this. There are many other great Christian causes out there that you've heard about. And, hey, Christian Radio, sign me up. I've supported that before. Huge fan. Compassion children, do that. We've done that. Individual missionaries, superb. 
Get after that. Christian education, getting your kids a solid foundation, awesome. Christian sports, adoption, good causes like ALS, hey, all worthy of your support. But let me just say this. If you send support to these things instead of supporting your church at all, you're missing something fundamental about the call to giving in the Bible. You're overlooking something fundamental about, you know, God's call to first take care of the household of God that is your church family. Uh, Understand the Great Commission originates and expands through the local church. So our giving should reflect that reality. So be sure to include your local church in your giving plan as you make that up for this year. So hey, get over yourself. If you want to store up treasure in heaven, your money's over-promising and God's given you everything you own. Second, be rich in good works and give generously. Give generously. And here's number three. Live the good life. Live the good life. It says in verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And then verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life which is truly life. Did you hear that? So that you may take hold of the life that is truly life. The Bible wants you to live the good life. Have you heard that uh, song called The Good Life? Have you heard that before? I think we've got that song. We're going to play it right now. Disney used it for all their commercials. Can we play that? Have you heard this song before? See, now, if you listen to the world, they really, you keep that going. It's got groove. Makes me feel good about my life. And the world wants you to see yourself on the Dumbo ride. Right? If I could be on the Dumbo ride at Disney, listen to this song. Oh, everything would be okay. Or maybe if I could be on the beach. Woke up in London yeah. yesterday. Found myself in Just the put me in that chair. If I could get there, I'll be living. I got some good life. Or maybe if I get like the house of my dreams, here's my dream house. Oh, move me into that. Let me sit on the sofa in that. Oh, it's got to be it. Or you know what I want to drive? I'll tell you what I want to drive. I'm going to drive one of these. I'm going to drive one of these. That's a Ford. Just sit me down in one of those. Oh, it's finally happening. Here's the good life. All right, come back. Now the Bible comes along and says, no. Yes, good life. That ain't it. And the Bible, like, anticlimactically is like, you want to live the good life? Here's the picture that comes to mind. How come that doesn't get a commercial? Oh, this has got to be the good. Like, that doesn't get glamorized. All these charitable donations, people writing out these huge fat checks to orphans, and like, where's the song with that? All right, so what I'm sharing with you is very countercultural. They're not going to put that to music. Look at that dude giving up half his fortune so the kids could eat rice for a year. Like, whoa, good life. Like, that's not glamorized in the world, but giving is glamorized in Scripture. It says, those who are generous and ready to share, verse 19, are storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Treasure in heaven so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That means here and that means there. You'll live the good life. You're living the dream. Hey, listen. If in this world 
You help practically nobody. You give practically nothing. You have no time for spiritual commitments to other people. You're missing out on the good life. If in this life you help countless people, you give with true sacrifice. You make time for spiritual relationships. That's living. That's the life that starts now and goes on forever. That's the good life. That's the life that brings joy to your heart and joy to those around you. It says here you'll be storing up treasure for yourself as a good foundation. Now You remember earlier in the text it says not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. So, so building your life on riches and money is an uncertain foundation. It's unstable. It's going to fall over. But here, if you build your foundation on giving to others and helping others and serving God's purpose, that's a good foundation. And it says here that you're storing up treasure as a good foundation. It's as if your giving is, is portrayed here as hoarding in heaven. You're pouring it out here, but somehow that's creating this mountain of treasure in heaven. Sometimes people spiritually say, well, I don't want anything in heaven but Jesus. That's not biblical. God says you should be storing up treasure in heaven. Through your gifts here and your generosity here and your love for others here, you should be looking ahead. And it also says you're laying a foundation. It's, it's very poetic and artful the way it's describing it. It's as if your giving here is pouring out the concrete in heaven on which, the foundation on which your spiritual treasure is going to be laying. Isn't that beautiful? My giving here is pouring a foundation on which my eternity is going to be built. Wait, I thought Jesus was the foundation. It is. But here the Bible also says your obedience to Jesus somehow lays the foundation for the eternity you're going to enjoy. And we don't have to back away from that. God's a good father who wants to bless his kids. What you're supposed to understand here is if you live the good life the Bible calls you to live, you're pouring a rock-solid foundation that you're standing on here and there. If you build your life on the love of money or the trust of money, it's a shaky foundation and there's nothing there waiting for you. Write this down. Live the good life because you'll build on bedrock. You'll build on bedrock. You'll store up for yourself a good foundation for the future. What are you standing on? What are you trusting in? What will be waiting for you in the next life? What's reliable? There's construction going on right now, it sounds like, in heaven, and you're pouring the foundation. Is there a colossal gorge? If somebody walked up to the foundation you're pouring in heaven, would it be like this colossal skyscraper gorge? And they're like, what are you building there? My foundation for all I'm going to enjoy in heaven. Or would it be this small... Check this out. This is a foundation of a skyscraper. You want to put up a skyscraper? The foundation is like... Sometimes hundreds of feet into the ground. They pour concrete in there. They reinforce it with all this metal. What's going on in that? Something big, something impressive, something pretty huge and awesome. Is that what you're doing? Are you like, man, I'm living in this life to store up for myself a foundation in heaven that's going to blow everybody away. The Lord is going to bless me and commend me because I was faithful here. You might be like, that sounds so selfish. No, it sounds so biblical. God wants to bless you and he wants your obedience here to lead to something fantastic there, right? Or, or, are, or are you laying for yourself a, a tiny little foundation in heaven? Check this out. This is just like one square of sidewalk. Like, like through your obedience here and through what you're pouring out for the Lord here, it's just like this tiny little foundation that I'm pouring for myself in heaven. Look at the skyscraper again. 
Here's the skyscraper foundation, and here's the sidewalk. Hey, this is the way the Bible is challenging us to evaluate our current obedience in the area of giving right now. Our eternal future there somehow rests upon the foundation that is laid here by our obedience and giving. I don't understand all that. But I know the Bible teaches we will be evaluated and rewarded for faithfulness in the next life. I'm not talking about the judgment of heaven and hell. If you were like me, you grew up, I grew up Catholic. Okay, we were taught that all this life is a process and then at the very end there's a crisis where we figure out if we're going to heaven or not. Were you taught that growing up? Okay, that's backwards. Right here and now is the crisis that determines if you're going to heaven or hell. Today is the day of salvation. If you harden your heart and don't respond to the truth of Christ, you failed the crisis and you don't need to wonder where you're going. That's already set. Crisis over. But I know that my faith is in Christ Jesus. Christ is done. I know I'm going to heaven. The rest of my life is simply a process of growing in Christ. But then when I get to heaven, the Bible says that there's going to be an evaluation of how faithful I was. All right? And then there will be different degrees of reward or commendation or treasure in heaven. So write this down. Live the good life because you'll build on bedrock and you'll have treasure in heaven. You'll have treasure in heaven. That makes people wonder, well, what is, rewarded in, what is rewarded in heaven? There's a long list. There's a long list. Making obedient disciples, honoring the word through biblical teaching. There's a long list, but the big one today for this topic is this. Somehow, generous material giving here, helping the church and those around you here, somehow will lead to reward there. Giving here is gaining there. Sharing here is storing there. Letting go here is living there. It's rewarded somehow in heaven. I I don't understand it all, but what are the rewards? Well, we don't know. We know that God will commend certain people. Imagine if you got a phone call from like the president. Hey, I just saw you do that good deed for that homeless person the other day and I just wanted to say rock on. That was awesome. You're fantastic. You'd be like, oh, the president called me. Imagine if God in heaven gives you commendation. Oh, what would that do to your soul? The Bible also talks about crowns and it's lavish in its description of what God is going to lavish on his people. It's awesome. You'll have treasure in heaven. 1 Corinthians 3, 14 to 15, though, spells out that some won't have a ton of commendation waiting for them there. It says in verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Again, this might go against some of your Christian sentiments. I'm just sharing with you what the Bible says. There are going to be some who arrive in heaven and there is going to be a mountain of treasure in some way, shape, or form waiting for them. And then there's going to be others who arrive into heaven and it looks like they just escaped through a burning building. And there's not a whole lot. Heaven's pretty sweet, but there's not a whole lot of extra commendation or other things God had planned waiting because there was a deficiency in their obedience. I'm just laying that out. That's what the Bible teaches. And God here wants you to have hope stored up in heaven. Hey, get over yourself. Your money's over-promising. God handed you everything you own. Be rich in good works and give generously. Live the good life. You'll build on bedrock. You'll have treasure in heaven. The Bible is daring you to become a hoarder in heaven today. Have you watched Hoarders? In this life, don't do that. 
you've got trouble with that, come up front, we'll pray for you. The Bible is daring you to become a hoarder in heaven. This is Bilbo Baggins. He found the treasure hoarded up by the dwarves, guarded by a dragon. In this life, worst life plan ever. In the next life, God says, get after it. Get after it. Start storing it up. Remember in verse 6 and 7, the Bible says, you brought nothing into this life, you can take nothing out of it. It's foolishness to try hoarding a mountain of treasure in this life. In God's economy, somehow, giving in this life is building something eternal for yourself in the next life. Hey, listen, enjoy the good life now and get ready for what is yet to come. Let's pray.